0: Story it is. Um, but I want to just talk about uh, some of the lessons I can get from it. I really uh, just have three main points. Um, the first one is uh, really just counterintuitive that God is cutting down the numbers here. Uh, he's cutting down the number of people who are going to be uh, working for his kingdom. Now, if you have been in the church for some length of the time or for people commentating on this passage, um, there's a good chance. You may have uh, heard somebody talk about the difference between the people who lapped up the water and the people who melt down, and why the one group was favored over the other. It's a little bit confusing, because in the first cutting down, uh, there seems to be a reason for uh, telling some of the people to leave. So it says, if you have any fear of trailing at all, go ahead and go home. And so two thirds of the army goes home. And so you can say, okay, well that might actually be an improvement from a worldly standpoint. You know, get rid of the people who are fearful uh, and just keep the people who are really on the board. Uh, but then the second cut down doesn't seem to fall into that same pattern because there's not any obvious reason why you know lying down to a lap of water like a dog is any better or worse than cupping in your hands and, and kneeling and so on. And, and I think that's actually precisely the point. Uh, the point here is that God is actually just using an arbitrary, The explicit reason he says, I'm doing this so that Israel will not be tempted to boast that we did this in our own strength, Uh, that they will see that this is really the hand of God. And so actually I would say that's my first general point here uh, about this story, and actually a lot of what is going on in Judges, is that the Bible in general is not a record of the righteous deeds of saints for us to admire. The Bible is primarily the story of what God has done intervening from outside, whether we like it or not, or whether we assist or not. Uh, it's really about God's work and, and God's doing. So Everything about this passage is basically saying God is going to take the initiative, and he's going to do it, uh, and the people are going to just sort of stand back and be amazed. And so one of the ways he does that is simply by cutting down their numbers to such a degree that, you know, when we looking at the other army, they probably have... As I say, about 32,000 people to start. The other army probably had maybe 100,000. So they're already outnumbered. Yeah, and uh, and now God is saying, actually, even send away what you have. So there's no way that you can be thinking that you did this in your own strength. Uh, and then uh, actually, even you know, to further, uh, God sends a dream uh, to these people to encourage gideon So Gideon sneaks down to the uh, enemy camp. And uh, God sends a dream, providentially, that these people are reciting just as Gideon sneaks into the camp. And again, this is God from the beginning to the end. God tells them to sneak down into the camp, God sends the dream, uh, and Gideon uh, hears this. So the whole story of Gideon uh, from beginning to end is about God uh, doing things on his own initiative. And as I said, this is a theme really throughout the whole Bible. Uh, a lot of them are just really tempted to look for morality stories in the Bible where we say, well, this person did the right thing and God rewarded them. Uh, but uh, that's generally not the case. The case is usually the people are running the opposite direction from God, and He reaches uh, and does something uh, to save them, despite uh, the hard that are running away. Uh, and the ultimate example of this, of course, is the death of Jesus uh, in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus uh, died for our sins, and He did that, the Bible says, before anybody had asked Him to do that. And while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ died for us. Uh, and so, uh, in, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, I think it's in the original scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 9, God says to the nation of Israel, It is not because of the uprightness of your heart uh, that I have done this. It's not a story of God rewarding uh, people for their good deeds, but rather of God generating people doing good deeds, God generating people. There's a uh, classic verse in Ephesians which gives the same theme, again talking about the work of Christ. Uh, and this is in your edition of scriptures if you want to turn there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that is, dead, running away from him, made us alive together with Christ. By grace he would have saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice that word of grace just keeps coming up and up again and again in this passage. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that the no one proposed. I don't think you have a passage with more times packed into the same small space. It's not up to you. Right? It's not through your own doing. It's a gift. It's not a result of your works. You can't boast. Uh, it's the grace. It's not because of anything you were dead. I mean, how many times have you said it uh, in three verses? Uh, and it's author's source. Um, we want God to act, but we actually want God to act on demand. We want Him to act when we call Him to act. Uh, you know, generally, even lots of people who wouldn't consider themselves religious and pinch. Uh, who we'll call out to God and pray to God uh, and get mad when he doesn't do what they say. Uh, we want God to act, but we want to be the one to charge. And when we say jump, he says how high. Uh, and everything in the Bible is completely inverse of that, that God is the one who does things when he chooses, and he does them. Uh, and they're amazing. Uh, he is full of mercy and goodness, but he acts when he wants to, and on His own initiative. And I think that We just can't avoid the frustration of that, right? We want him to do what we tell him to do. Uh, And everything in all these messages is God saying, he is full of mercy, but it's his agenda. And he's going to do what he's going to do on his own initiative. Because he's not a machine or something that we're trying to crank on to get us to do what we want. He is a person, and he does things freely uh, when he wants to. Now, let me make a specific application of this uh, to our church. Um, it's really tempting, even on a night like tonight, uh, to play the number game. Uh, I remember, uh, I really just became aware in the past few years of how often one or another, like Sandy or I, will be at some church event that the other one wasn't at. And uh, somebody said, well, how'd it go? And actually, what's behind that question that we want to hear is how many people showed up? You know, and somebody says, oh, it went really well. There was uh, 40 people there. You know, uh or uh it was so weird, it was okay, there's only ten people that showed up. You know, our evaluation of things is based on numbers, uh so often. Uh, and if there's anything this passage tells us like that should be inverted, right? That God deliberately uh is cutting down numbers. Now, that doesn't mean that we should try to drive people away. You know, like okay, let's let's have a, a, a you know some arbitrary standard and we sell two of you some people leave, you're like, No, we're not gonna do that. Uh, that's that's something special about here. Uh, it also makes sense uh, a lot of times to count the number of people attending to know how to spend the resources and so on. If a lot of people are doing this, we maybe want to put more resources into that. Uh, but I think we really need to question the mentality of sort of judging the success of every Christian endeavor that we do on the number of people that show up. Uh, I think that we need to say did we meet God? Um, did we grow in the Lord? Was God glorified uh, in the things uh, that we did uh, when we came together? Uh, and so you might say, well, in general, it might be nice if people showed up at the Sunday evening service. Uh, but uh, that's not our absolute standard of success. Uh, our absolute standard is: it's God being glorified, people growing, uh, and uh, are we growing together as God's people? Uh, you know, and just as, a, as, a, as another example, this doesn't apply to the church, I don't think, um, is I would say just um, do we live expectantly expecting God to, to do some amazing, great miracle? Um, there's something going on in the world right now which can be called dream evangelism. Okay, uh, some of you may have heard of this. In the Muslim world, other uh, thousands of people have the testimony really, that are going about. And told them, go look up a Christian uh, and find the church and learn about me. Uh, And they did. Uh, And I have a uh, a personal friend who's a uh, uh, a missionary in southern France, and he uh, knows someone personally whose mother had a dream uh, in which she told that the dream was that her son meant to talk to somebody about Jesus. And so he did. And eventually became a Christian. Now, how's that for an evangelistic plan? Okay, we're all wait till God sends people dreams. <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do anything, but it just tells you that like God is not limited to our power and our strength, and that, you know, even in places that you think, might think are the most hostile to the gospel, God can break through uh, and do things to get people to show up uh, and to seek Him uh, to change their hearts uh, even when, you know, you would think we have no influence and no power in that part. And so I would say another application is not only not be worried about small numbers, but expect God to do great things. Maybe the thing that's great is not that the numbers get back. Maybe the great thing is that this person you're praying for for years actually becomes a Christian, uh, or that somebody that you had no idea uh, you know even knew they were uh, walks in the door and becomes a Christian, or any number of other things. Um, you know, we're Presbyterians. That doesn't mean that we don't believe. Quite the opposite. We say that God does things on His initiative, so we don't have faith healers here who are demanding God to act on their agenda. But we certainly believe that God acts greatly and does amazing things, and we should pray uh, and live expectantly. Okay. Right, well, my second point uh, is actually to switch now and just look at what Gideon did. Um, Gideon actually has a—he acts like a great general here. Uh, there's a great plan. And this is a classic example of a story that's happening at two levels. And there's a lot of these in the Bible where you see God working behind the scenes and God doing things, and then also people acting on their own initiative in response to what God is doing, and God using the, the vigorous activity of the people. So it's not like Gideon and his people are just sitting around passively uh, waiting for God to act. God cuts down their resources a lot, but at the end of the day, uh, he says, to yeah, Gideon, yeah, you know, now you've got something to do. Uh, and if you think about this just from a purely military perspective, uh, this is brilliant. Okay, so first of all, a small number uh, can circle around the entire enemy camp uh, without being hurt, right? If you had 10,000 people, they would have been hurt before they got halfway around, right? And so there's a small number they are sneaking around. Uh, there's enough trumpets for everybody to have one, right? Um, they wait until the change of guard. Verse 19, it says they waited until the Midianites change. changing This is a point of maximal confusion. So you would have had some people coming back from being on the outside of the camp and other people going out to the guard out coast. so There would have been a lot of bodies moving back and forth. So it would have been easy for them to mistake the sound of people returning from the watch and think that this is an invading army, especially since trumpets are blowing. In general, uh, if you talk with people who fought in the military, uh, friendly fire is a real thing. Uh, it's a real risk. It's uh, a lot harder than you think to know who the enemy is uh, in the dark, especially in the middle of the night. And so, uh, from a worldly perspective, it's not at all spread. People hear all this chaos, all this noise, and they hear all these seals, people moving back and forth. Uh, and so, there is a, a, a huge amount of friendly fire. They break, they start running, and then Gideon sends out messages uh, for an ambush as they're on the run. All the rest of Israel now comes out in force, uh, and they ambush them, and they, they trap them in the river. Of course, it takes a, you get stuck at the riverside, you can't cross the river, and of course, they're uh, pretty much annihilated at that point. Uh, so, what's the lesson from this? Um, well, basically, take, believing that God takes the initiative... Uh, in salvation uh, doesn't mean that we're passive, just the opposite. It rather means that we go out in confidence knowing that God has a plan to do great things. Uh, And we see this in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 18, uh, we have Paul, the Apostle, This is also in the additional scripture, I believe, Acts 18, starting in verse 9. It's, it's again a wonderful uh, case of sort of this two story picture of God doing something, but also human action. Uh, it says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision or a dream, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. So God is saying to Paul, Don't be afraid to act vigorously with energy, because I'm going to work through you. And I have already ordained to save many people and change many parts of this town. Now, so the conclusion of believing in God's great action is not for Paul to say, well, if you have many people in the city, therefore I don't need to do anything, just the opposite. We have the confidence to say, uh, I can go out boldly because I don't on the winning side. And sometimes people use the analogy of the, the D-Day invasion. You know, people living in France, once D-Day happened, the uh, Allies established the beachhead, it was like a foregone conclusion that they were going to win, and the Germans were on the retreat. And yet there was a lot of actual fighting that needed to go on. Uh, and the people uh, in France rose up to help uh, the Soviet army. Uh, and so it was both ends. It's not just that you say, well, the war's over. There's nothing to be done. But really just the opposite. The more confident you are, the more fearless uh, you can be. Uh, and just to make again, sort of an application to that in, the, uh, in a specific way. Um, Even if uh, we ourselves become a casualty, uh, what do I mean by that? Uh, When you think about in this battle here, it doesn't say that not one Israelite died. It doesn't say that all 300 of these people came away unscathed. It doesn't say that when Israel rose up in this ambush that none of them died. I would bet it's war. You know, some of the people in Israel died. if you were one of the people who got killed in the battle, so even though Israel won the battle, what if you were one of the people who got killed in the battle? Was that a failure? Was that a, a you know, mistake that you shouldn't have been there? Uh, absolutely not. These are great people uh, and all of the other people who came uh, later on. As an example, you know, there are people who have been going to the mission field uh, come back burnout, uh, come back uh, really because they kind of have gone down in flames because it's really tough uh, to go to another culture. It's really, really difficult. Uh, but people going gone into ministry uh, here in the United States uh, and have dropped out of ministry and taken up a different calling. Should they have concluded, well, I should never have done that in the first place? Not necessarily. Uh, it's like going to a battle. You know, we are all rising up to do energetic work uh, and sometimes some of us take errors in their, their campuses, uh, but we're all working on the same team for the same kingdom. Uh, And so we should be confident that we're working in God's team, and He will do great things, Uh, even if I'm one of the Catholics, even if I'm one of the people, uh, maybe I'm one of the people who showed up uh, in the beginning of this battle, and then God sent me home because I uh, cupped the water rather than laughing at like a dog. And, you know, am I going to have all this self-doubt saying, oh man, I should have laughed, so, you know, why did I miss the opportunity to laugh at that point? That's not the point. The point is not what God is going to do, uh, and, and uh, we uh, show up and on that side, and God will use us, even if we are not individually the, the victorious person. Okay, my third point is to say something that, in some ways, is maybe uh, the most obvious point that almost doesn't need to be stated, but I think. It's uh, sometimes the case that we look at these Old Testament stories and we draw analogies to our Christian life, uh, and that's great, you know, working against sin, uh, struggling against opposing opposing culture, and so on. Uh, but I wanna make sure we don't uh, over-analogize it. Um, it's also a story about war. Uh, it's not just an analogy for us, it's also a case that this is a, a heroic war story. Uh, and so that has implications. Uh, the Bible in general has a lot of stories that commend warfare. Uh, and uh, this really gets us into the, the whole issue of just war. You know, can a Christian uh, ever fight in a war? Well, I'm not going to go into, you know, a lengthy discussion of just war theory, should uh, we support war, uh, can we know if the war is just, and all kinds of things like that. But I would just say, you know, an obvious conclusion is that uh, war cannot be inherently in all in every case, because God has commanded it, uh, in several cases in, in the Bible. Uh, and, um, actually, in, uh, in 2 Samuel 23, I to turn there, but, uh, there's a listing of God's, of David's army, of his mighty men. And so, you know, it's kind of like here are the great heroic warriors. There's a listing of your great deeds, Uh, and we shouldn't be embarrassed about that. We, we, we I think we, often in our society feel like any use of force is somehow an ethical compromise. Uh, but I would say, if the Lord has called us to do work, uh, then uh, we should do it, uh, and do it heroically, and do it with energy. Uh, now, uh, just a caveat about all this. Um, the Bible does not say that we have a mandate to conquer the world uh, militarily. Uh, Israel has given a mandate in one generation to conquer seven particular countries. Uh, and then they were not given a mandate to go out and conquer the rest of the world. They were not on a mission of world conquest. They were basically given seven countries, that they were told this is a specific act of judgment of God on these particular nations. They were going to the land and conquer that. And then they were meant to live at peace over the nations. But of course, if other nations attack them, uh, that's really what the Book of Judges is about, is them rising up to defend and to uh, reestablish uh, that country in the country know, when all these oppressors are coming in. Uh, so in general, there is a time and a place for standing up uh, against oppression. Uh, to defend uh, the weak against evil, to defend a nation against evil. There's many tricky questions of all, how do I know really, you know, who's telling the truth, how do I know what's the right thing and so on? But in general, uh, we. This is a war story. Uh, God uses warfare uh, on times and different occasions uh, and commends it, uh, and so it's not intrinsically uh, a moral compromise. Uh, that is, as I said, I think often in our society we sort of know as of Pastor Matt talked about this morning. Well, if we didn't have any police, uh, if we didn't have any armies, it would be chaos, and that would not be good. But sort of as a Christian, I kind of feel like I would. Want well. That doesn't mean there are no tricky questions in terms of knowing what's the right thing to do at the right time, when should we use force, when should we refrain, uh, and so on, uh, and so forth. Uh, so, in general, uh, I'm going to complete here and just say, uh, there's, a two, there's two sides to this. I'm going to embrace those sides. There is a sense in which God calls us to vigorous action, and warfare might be one of those vigorous actions. Uh, but even at much lower levels, even in our own uh, church, uh, being bold to talk about the gospel just maybe be bold enough to invite somebody uh, over to your home, uh, and or bold enough to talk to somebody that you haven't met before. But our boldness actually comes as anchored along the fact that God is doing stuff even no matter what we do. He's going to do stuff using us or using somebody else. Uh, and uh, and if we try and fail, uh, God's kingdom will still go forth. God is still building his kingdom worldwide. Let's pray together.